Well, we are in our final installment of Floodgates. And this morning, I am going to be speaking from the topic, The Exchange. So if you're writing notes, The Exchange is the title of our message today. And uh, we've just been in this incredible time of just diving into how to walk in the Spirit and utilize the Holy Spirit in and through our lives. Uh, so if you've missed the last few weeks, I want to encourage you. Uh, Pastor Jason spoke the last few weeks on, on this topic, and we have some great messages, so go back and listen to them on YouTube or on our app, which is on the seat, and the QR card is right in front of you. You can just snap that and get that, okay? Um, but this morning, before we jump in, I just want to pray for our message today, that God would just be in the midst of it. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for this time. Um, coming together and gathering together as your people. God, we thank you for the faith that is in this room right now. God, we just ask, Lord, uh, that you would stay present with us as you always do, God, and that we would be leaned into your voice today. God, I pray where the Spirit needs to convict that it, he will convict, and where the Spirit needs to remind us you're doing a great job, we will be reminded, God. But we just pray that you would speak in and through me today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the last few weeks we've been in Galatians 5. So while you get there in your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get to Galatians 5. Uh, we've been looking at the difference between walking in the Spirit or walking fruity. You've been here? Walking fruity versus walking fleshy, okay? So we've been looking at this idea, and then the last few weeks we spent time on the sins against our body that we partake in of the flesh, and the sins against others that we often partake in of the flesh. This week we're going to talk to the idea of the sins against God. So let's read it together. Galatians 5, 16, it says this. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. They are sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So the fleshly sins we are going to look at today are those against God, which is idolatry and sorcery. And our main focus is going to be on idolatry. So we have to define the terms, right? Like in our generation, it's really important to define terms. So we're all on the same playing field, okay? So we're going to define the terms of idolatry and sorcery here when it comes to the Bible and what we're speaking to. So idolatry, one commentary defines it as allowing anything to take the place of God. Idolatry is a work of the flesh in which we create God in our own image, according to our own desires, constructing our theology to rationalize and justify the way we want to live. Are some of you in the room like, oh, I might 
I might struggle with that a little. I might have some idolatry in my life going on right now. Idolatry is us, I'm gonna use some strong words, so just buckle up your seatbelt now. Um, but it's, it is in the Bible, so just so you know. But um, idolatry is us prostituting, or as Exodus would call it, whoring our faith. That's in the Bible. I just read it like two days ago, just so you know. It's that extreme idea that we are adulterating our faith. We are selling our faith. We are exchanging it. We are giving it away and, and being bought with something else. We sell it to the thing that can give us a quick fix or a momentary filling of the gap that's in us or simply that we just want more than God. It's a result of us not trusting that God is good enough, that he is enough, or that he has our best intention in mind. It's what we use to substitute and shore up our desires and needs. And it can look like literally anything. And then we have sorcery. And while you all probably want me to spend most of our time on this, it takes too long, so we're not going to. But here's what I've defined sorcery as. Sorcery or witchcraft is a manipulation of mind, body, and spirit using things that are not of God, but of the enemy. They're evil. And here's what's super interesting when we see this written here in Galatians is that actually the root word of sorcery here is our English word for pharmacy. Right? I was like, oh, okay. It is this idea of like using drugs to manipulate your life or to change your life or the life of another. So you would see sorcery playing out all the way back, like all the way back, go all the way through the Bible. You're gonna see these moments where kings and pharaohs, they would seek um, sorcerers first above God almost every time. And when they didn't get their way, then they would seek God. Does that sound familiar? No, just probably just what I struggle with. Um, but the reality is they would, they would go to these sorcerers and often these sorcerers would use drugs to curse others, or they would use them to poison people, or they would use them just as a way of escapism. People in this generation, sorcerers or not, would use them as a way of escaping. So we're not gonna get into all that, but it is a whole topic we could touch on, right? It does answer some questions for us about drugs and alcohol abuse and all of these things, right? So that was kind of a fun little thing to find. Some of you are like, not really, I don't like it. But... <laughs> Paul's basically speaking to us about pursuing evil in evil ways and escaping through drug use and playing with the evil things that entangle us in witchcraft. And the reality is, too, it's speaking to this idea of what we're opening our souls to, which is the enemy. Sorcery and witchcraft in its basic, like, roots is going to be opening our, our souls and our hearts open up to the enemy. And so both of these things are attempts to fulfill what is unfulfilled in our lives. They're attempts to control what is uncontrolled. They are attempts to take matters into our own hands and lean on our own understanding, leaving us untrusting of the God who created us. So what we see happening in the church of Galatia and that of Rome and Corinth, which Paul speaks about idolatry and the flesh, fleshly things in all of those places, is this exchange. We're seeing an exchange take place. Let's look at it in Romans. Romans chapter 1, 18 says this, and this is out of the message version. Because sometimes it's just like good to hear it like an eight-year-old would hear it, right? <laughs> God's angry displeasure 
erupts as acts of human mistrust and wrongdoing and lying accumulate. As people try to put a shroud over truth. But the basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes and there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes as such can't see. Eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of his divine being. So nobody has a good excuse. Paul's saying here, you have no excuse to not see God. He's everywhere. What happened was this. People knew God perfectly well, but when they didn't treat him like God, refusing to worship him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion. (laughs) This is why we need to hear it this way sometimes, right? Like you're being silly. Stop that. Okay, silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. They pretended to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life. They traded the glory of God who holds the whole world in his hands for cheap figurines you can buy at any roadside stand. So the CSB version says it this way, verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. They exchange the truth of God for a lie. So what is the lie? The lie that we tend to believe is that humanity can experience abundance of life and provision and prosperity in their souls without God. But this lie started way earlier than Romans, started much earlier than Paul. Where do we first see this lie kind of take root? Genesis, in the garden, Adam and Eve. Let's read it together, Genesis three. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit, the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to a woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like him, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Do you notice that immediately upon this exchange of the truth that God had told them, do not eat from that tree for you'll surely die. Immediately upon eating from that tree, Adam and Eve fell into shame. They fell into an awareness of their vulnerabilities. They gave away the freedom of walking in the garden completely free, like free, naked free, (laughs) free. They gave away this ability to just be free, to have no, nothing attached to their bodies and their images, nothing attached to their minds, no emotional weirdness about themselves. They just got to walk free in the garden with God And they immediately noticed that there was a problem when they fell into sin. They immediately became vulnerable. They immediately became insecure. They became aware of their nakedness. They became aware of their humanity. The exchange immediately started processing into the death. 
the things that hold them back from complete freedom in and through God. Immediately. Humanity has this desire to have it all, right? Eve was like, well, we can have everything. You literally get to have 99.9%. It's like when we tithe. We get to still have 90%. God just wants 10, right? It's like we get to have almost everything we want, all of it. But there's this piece of God that he wants some of it. He wants it because he knows it's attached to our hearts. He wants it because he knows that it's going to break us free of entanglement, of idolatry. He wants it because he doesn't want us to live in sin and shame. And the reality is we still just have this desire that all is not what, all God, what God says is all. It's not enough. Well, that's not all. Because all we can understand is material things. All we can understand is the things piling up in our garage. Anyone have some stuff piling up in their garage? All we can understand is value within people or value within other people telling us how great we are or value within the things we possess. And so our idea of all is very different from God's idea of all. Yet he literally gave it all for us and has it all for us if and when we live in and through the spirit of God. So here's this vessel. And what we're going to do is we're going to keep this water pure. And this is going to represent living in the spirit, okay? Rather than uh, it being blue and we're living in the spirit, we're going to keep it pure. And we're going to see that this is living in the spirit. It's pure it's untangled. There's in it. Whoop. There's nothing going on. Just so you know, I said muck. Because <laughs> that bleeped out at just the right time. There's none of that in there, okay? <sighs> oh. So, get your head out of the muck. Okay. Um, so then we have our idols, okay? And we have the re reality of what ends up polluting this beautiful picture of how God wants to live in unity with us, right? And so we have, like, our idols of money. Oh, this happens to be green. Green like money. Okay, we got our idols of money. And money gives us everything we could possibly want. Hmm. Doesn't. Doesn't, though. But we think it does. We think it well, right? We think when we arrive at this much, or we have this much, or we have that home, or we have that car that we really love, or we have whatever we want, right? Any, well, then we'll be fully satisfied. And we chase it, and we desire it, and we want it, and we work for it, and we live to make money. Now, the other thing about money is it can be an idol not just because of the freedom it gives us in our ability to buy all the things, or do all the things, but it can actually become an idol because the fear of losing it can entangle us. That is just as much of an idol. There's two extremes to money, right? We have this extreme of money needing, having all the money so we can buy all the things we want that we think are gonna fill up our, our lives, or we have this extreme of hoarding everything so that when the economy crashes, when everything goes downhill, da da da, da list the things that you're afraid of, you are ready. It's an idol, either way. If it's put above and before God and trusting him, it's an idol. So we got money that's an idol. We got, oof, making a mess. We've got image that's an idol, which is often attached to money and greed. We've got our identity. Identities have become a major idol in the last 
20 years, right? They have. Not our identity in Christ, our identity in us and what people say about us, right? Our status, marriage. Marriage is an idol. If it's before God and you're chasing it above God, it's an idol. And I think a lot of us tend to do that. We're like, oh, but when I get married, well, guess what? <laughs> when you get married, it's going to be hard, and it's not always going to be fun. And you're going to have to, like, deal with it because you just married them. <laughs> so you got to say yes to Jesus first, and then he leads you into the right marriage if he so pleases. Okay? So marriage can become an idol. Our ideologies can become an idol. America. America can become an idol. Feel the tension in the room a little when I say that because it might be an idol. If it's put above God, it's an idol. If our status, our desires, our nation, our job, our career, whatever, if it's put above God, it becomes an idol. So it's dangerous, right? Because it gets all, where's the spirit of God? Can you find it? You can't find it. Right? Because the dilution of it, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but is it's untraceable when we're living in our flesh. Right? We just read in Galatians that you can't do both. You cannot have it all in the world and then have God as well. It doesn't mesh. All right. So I want to show you a few things of what happens and how it kind of practically plays out in our life when we put things above God. So this picture is an idea from Dallas Willard's book that we've been working through. And um, what is the book called again? The ref re Thank you. I wanted to say Reformation of the Heart, but same thing. Renovation of the Heart. So um, Dallas Willard is saying essentially, this is how idolatry of all kinds orders our authority, including that of those who worship the good life. We know, that, we know that phrase, the good life. I want the good life. But this is the order of authority when we want the good life. When we walk in the flesh, this is the order of authority. Where is God in the order of this authority? I mean, he might as well just knock off the screen. Because everything else becomes filtered by this reality. Our body owns our soul, owns our mu, which is uh, mind, emotion, will. That's those blocks in there. Our spirit and our God. Our body controls all of this. This could actually be even a little g, God. Right? Because this becomes the God. This becomes the first. Whatever this wants, this gets. And this is starving and dead and will never be fulfilled, just so you know. So secondarily then, so if our authority is body instead of God, our body controls and filters everything that enters the remaining parts of us. Whereas life under God submitted to the Holy Spirit, led and walked out in the Spirit, submits to this order of authority. God first, filtering through the Spirit, the mind, the emotion, and the will, which by the way, your body behaves, the mind, the emotion, and the will. Okay, it is controlled by that. Filters through the soul, filters down through the body. Everything becomes about this. I mean, we're constantly having to 
analyze this in our lives, right? Like, I'm constantly having to go, oh, my body's in control today or in this moment. I'm constantly having to be willing to be open to repenting to that. But I can repent to that because this is the top. When my body is the top, I cannot, I can't see this. I mean, it's way down here. When my body is in control of everything I'm doing and I, I eliminate the spirit from my life, I can't hear the spirit. You might be sitting here going, I don't know why I'm struggling with like feeling close to God. I, might, I don't know why I'm struggling with not hearing God. I would just ask if maybe your body is filtering everything instead of God. So everything we do must be under submission to God. Flesh, or as I'll call it, idle, full living, submits not to God but to self, and even to the enemy of your soul. Like, you have an enemy, and you're submitting to him when we walk in our flesh. Yet, we are reminded that the very first commandment is this. is a first commandment. It's not number four. It's not number two. It's not number ten. It's the first commandment, and it is do not have other gods beside me. God is a jealous God. You might not like jealous ex-boyfriends, but God is jealous. Okay, he wants all of you all the time. We actually see Jesus say this in Matthew 22, verse 36 through 38. He says, teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? They're asking him. What's the greatest law, right? Just like I kind of ordered it. First is, first is, idol, uh, is not to have any other gods. What's the greatest? So we're in Jesus. We're talking about the new covenant, right? And he says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. How much of yourself? All. All of ourselves are to love God first. And he gets all of it. Heart, soul, and mind. Okay, so let's look at four things really quickly that happen when we replace God with idols and we walk in the flesh instead of the spirit. Okay, the first is this. The exchange disconnects us from the fulfiller. So remember, this used to be pure, pretty pure. Now it's like literally black. Literally just darkness. Pastor Seth was like, you know, if you mix all those colors together, they're going to be ugly, right? I'm like, yeah, that was, that was my goal. I won. Won the goal. We want it to be ugly. We want it to be muddled. And so, remember, this was pure, like before idolatry, before anything else entered in, which, by the way, you have that promise when you say yes to Jesus. When you say yes to Jesus, we become a new creation where we walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. And so we actually do get to experience purity. It doesn't mean things don't try to enter into our spirit. But it means that we have a way to combat it, that we have a person who's already died for it, who already cleansed it, who when we come to him in repentance and we say, please forgive me, God, he purifies us again and again and again. So it's not like this clear, old, clear visual is impossible. It is something we can walk out in our day-to-day lives. It just takes paying attention to the spirit, right? So we have this these idols in here, we have the greed, we have the image, the identity, we have the self-promotion, we have that need to get married, that white picket fence house, or that open concept house. I feel like that's the new white picket fence house. We need that open concept house, you know? Anything that is put before God 
disconnects us from the fulfiller. And listen, all these things are not bad. Like money isn't a bad thing. Money is a tool that God uses to build the kingdom of God. It is not a bad thing. It is when we idolize it, when we put it above God, when we do not submit to his authority in it. Marriage, not a bad thing. Marriage is a beautiful thing. When submitted to God in his timing, in his way, after he's kind of worked through some things in you so that it can be successful, right? Like marriage is not a bad thing. Singleness, not a bad thing. It's actually a beautiful thing. When we make anything above God, that's when it gets, right, impure. So let's look at Ezekiel. We have this eerie reminder of what disconnection, how disconnection takes place when we place our idols before God. Ezekiel 14, 1 through 5, we see this problem take place. Ezekiel's with some elders of Israel. He says, some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat down in front of me. Then the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, these men have set up idols in their heart and have put their sinful stumbling blocks in front of themselves. Should I actually let them inquire of me? Therefore, speak to them and tell them, this is what the Lord God says. When anyone from the house of Israel sets up idols in his heart and puts his sinful stumbling block in front of himself and then comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him appropriately. I will answer him according to his many idols, or as the message calls it, mob of idols, so that I may take the household, the whole, the, I may take hold of the house of Israel by their hearts. They are all estranged from me because of their idols. So you can just imagine like these people coming to want to hear, I want to hear from the Lord. So they come to the prophet Ezekiel and they're, they're here. I'm ready to hear from you. But there is a wall between them and God. He's like, there's too many people, too many things, too many idols, too much in the way of me being able to speak to my people. And I need their whole heart. Right? That's what Jesus says. All of my heart, all of my soul, and all of my mind must be dedicated to God. So there, when we come to God, can we have things in the way when we're walking in the Spirit? Absolutely, because the Spirit will alert you to them. Uh, hold on, God. It's like that Bible verse when he's like, before you go and take communion, you must go figure out your offense with your brother. Because I want you to come to me pure. And if you're bitter and unforgiving and frustrated and angry at someone else, you can't come to me pure. So God is saying, come to me and either let me purify you or get your idols out of the way and then we'll talk, okay? So as he goes on in Ezekiel 14, 6 through 8, the consequence of these people's actions is, th- is this, and it's, it's hard, so just get ready. He says this, therefore say to the house of Israel, this is what the Lord God says, repent and turn away from your idols. So see, he's giving them a chance. He's saying, turn away from your idols, repent. I'm giving you an opportunity here. I want to be close to you, I want your heart. So here's your opportunity. Turn your faces away from all your detestable things. For when anyone from the house of Israel or from the aliens who reside in Israel separates himself from me, setting up idols in his heart and putting his sinful stumbling block in front of himself, and then comes to the prophet to inquire me, I, the Lord, will answer him myself. I'll turn against that one and make him a sign and a proverb. I'll cut him off from among my people. Then you'll know that I'm the Lord. So there is a disconnection between us and God when we bring our idols along for the ride. We want it all, but our all has to be in him. Our all is found in him. 
And when we try to bring our idols along for the ride, he actually can't infiltrate. He can't get in. You can't push things aside. It's all muddled together. That's my favorite word of the day, muddled, okay? Jeremiah 2, 11 and 13 says this, and it shows us the spiritual, physical, and emotional consequences of our idolatry. Has a nation ever exchanged its gods? But they were not gods. Yet my people have exchanged their glory. My people have exchanged their glory for useless idols. Be appalled at this, heavens. Be shocked and utterly desolated. This is the Lord's declaration. In verse 13, it says, For my people have committed a double evil. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold any water. My people have disconnected themselves from the life source and chosen death. They've exchanged life for death. This is the consequence in our souls when we experience and, and, and activate idolatry in our lives is we experience a death. We experience this inability to ever be full. We experience a disconnection from the very life source that was meant for us to be completely full. Number two, the exchange diminishes our image to inanimacy. Psalm 115, four through eight says this, their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot hear. They have ears but cannot, or cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear. Noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel. Feet but cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throats. Those who make them are just like them, as are all who trust in them. The problem is that we become what we worship. So this is the danger of idolatry. Do I want to become what I worship? Our authority and our power and our influence, our words, and all of our senses surrender to the idol. And we lose the ability to be a voice in a generation. We lose the ability to have authority in our generation, to have the power of God living and active in and through us in our generation. We lose the ability to be like the spirit when we have succumbed to idolatry. When we put anything before it, it is what rules us. It is what we become like. It is an inanimate object that can never be fulfilled. We can never fill up on it. In the spirit, though, all of our senses are alive and fully functioning. We are, operated, we are operating as the incredible created beings we were meant to be. But we become inanimate objects when we surrender to anything other than God. And I don't know about you, but I would like to have an influence in our generation. I would like to believe that this generation is one that can actually change the world around us, that has a voice that is more powerful than all the little voices, the idols that like to talk. They chipper and chop, and they talk all the time, but they don't have anything to say. I believe that we do have something to say, and that God wants to use that. And I don't want to become an inanimate object where everything else is shutting me up. The third point is this. The exchange disappoints the one God we were created to please. And Romans 8, 6 through 8 says, Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 
So you're probably like feeling a little bummed right now because you're like, gosh, is there any good news in this message? Yes, I'm telling you good news. Just walk in the spirit. You'll be fine. Okay? <laughs> but God desires to be pleased by us. Like I know as a daughter, I love to hear when my father is proud of me. I like to hear when he thinks my hair looks good. Dad, say it loudly. Say it loud in the back, just kidding. I like to hear like, good job, well done. Or like he used to scream my name from the sidelines of my basketball games. And it was Swartz back then, so it was quite fun. But I liked it. I love to like know that God was, that not God, my father was watching me and was pleased. But that's the reality with God, right? Like we should desire to please our father, to say, God, you gave literally everything for me all the way down to your son who you did not have to, you didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that. He could have kept things the same, but he said, no, we will have a bridge between humanity and myself and that will be my son. And so the reality is he literally gave up everything for me, so why would I not desire to please my God? I want to please my God. He is worthy of the highest praise. He is magnificent. He is creator. He is the only reason I am on this planet, frankly, because he made me. So I want to please my God. And as children of the most high God, we should desire that, to be pleasing, to become like him, for us to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And here's the good news. Romans 8, 9, the next verse, it literally says, you, 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 however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and you know how the spirit of God lives in you? You say yes to Jesus, and he is invited into your life and into your world. And you decide, I am a new creation, and I will not walk in the flesh, and I will walk in the spirit. It's as simple as that. I know it's not as simple as that. It's still hard. But it's as simple as that every day, every moment. Because you're spirit kids. You have the spirit in you, living and active. You have authority and power you have yet to tap into because you haven't figured out how to deal with the spirit instead of living in your flesh. You have authority and power over the fear that you are dealing with in your life. You have authority and power over the anxiety you are dealing with in your life. You have authority and power over the healing that you are asking God for in your life in the spirit. We were born to glorify, honor, lift up, and be a sweet-smelling sacrifice to God. We are pleasing to him when we choose to continuously walk in the spirit. And the last point is this. The exchange denies the power of Christ's death. The reality is that when we exchange the truth for the lie, we deny the power of Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection. We deny that it was enough to conquer death for all of us. We deny that any more is necessary. We, we think there's more. We're saying, oh no, that's not good enough. When we exalt anything above God, it diminishes the power of the cross. We're saying, Jesus, what you did was not enough. But we know that we have a very real enemy who would love for us to believe that, right? Just like Eve in the garden. I need you to believe that Really, life comes out of that tree in the middle. Really, you get to know everything and be like God if you just do that. And I think so many of us sometimes, we're trying to be our own God. We're trying to take control of our lives. 
and we're eating from the middle of the garden, and God is like, don't eat from there. It's only going to lead to death. You've been warned, but we're exchanging the truth for the lie. And we're finding ourselves right where the enemy wants us. John 10.10 says the thief, speaking of Satan, comes to still kill and destroy. But guess what? Life comes in and through Jesus. Abundant life. We have complete life through him. There is nothing in this world that can take away his power. But we can give it away. We can say we don't want it. We can put up walls of idols in place of it. We can exchange the truth of God for the lie. We have to decide that he's enough. We have to decide to choose to walk in the spirit. As we read Galatians, right, reminds us of the fruits of the spirit. And one of them is faithfulness. And God is just asking for you to be faithful to him. He's asking you to not cheat on him. He's saying, can you stop fooling around? Am I not enough for you? When we were singing those songs this morning, I really sensed the Holy Spirit asking who will remain faithful and, you know, we've gone through some hard things. We all, in every life, just so you know, in every generation, we go through hard things. It's not different. It's the same. It's the same tactics from the same enemy to distract us from the truth. And that's just the reality. But we've gone through hard things, and we've seen people be unfaithful. We've seen so many fall away from their truth, their truth being God being the truth, and fall into their truth. <laughs> We've seen people abandon and, to, and cheat on God. And I don't know about you, but like, it's admirable when we can watch a generation of people say no. No more. I'm not exchanging this for the lie. I do not believe this. I do not succumb to it. I do not have to own this. I do not have to live in this. I don't have to live under this depression, this oppression. I do not have to live under fear. I do not have to live over under what's happening next. And when Jesus is even coming back, you guys, like that can be our idol too, is just when is Jesus coming back? And all we can do is sit in the fear and sit in the, oh, don't you see what's happening? It's going on all around us. And Jesus is like, just lift your eyes up. Stop focusing on all of this. If I'm first, everything else will be in order. Everything else falls under my authority. Everything going on in our generation falls under his authority. Whether the people around us want to believe it or not, we are still under his authority because this is his kingdom and he controls it and he is the victor over it. So I don't know about you, but I want to be in alignment with that. I don't want to be in alignment with this because this doesn't fulfill me. This doesn't give me anything. This leads to death. It is an empty cistern that cannot be filled. It is broken. And yet we still chase after the broken pieces. We still chase after that one thing we so desperately need to be fulfilled. Then we get a hold of it and we realize it's still not enough because it never will be. Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And no man comes to the Father except through Jesus. So who will remain faithful? Listen, our only race in this life is to literally remain faithful. 
Okay, you might get to do some fun things in your race where God says, hey, I want you to have some influence here. I want you to do this thing. I want you to uh, encourage that person. You might get to do some, some things in your life where you feel like, like, wow, I accomplished something. But really, his only request of you is to remain faithful. He's literally just looking for faithful people. You look all the way through the Old Testament and you just see God just frustrated because of their lack of faithfulness. Have you not seen the parting of the Red Seas? Have you not seen manna falling from heaven and meat every single day? Have you not seen? Have you not seen? And then we have the enemy come in and say, that's not really what he meant. So I just want to ask who will remain faithful? Jesus is inviting us to just remain faithful and realize that our all is not here. Our all is not from each other. Our all is not in our identity. Our all is not in our ideologies. Our all is in one and one only, Jesus. It is in and through him. Our breakthrough is in and through him. Our healing is in and through him. Our love of others is in and through him. Our peace and our patience and our joy is in and through him. And nothing else. So I want you to take away that idea of who will remain faithful. And God, am I being faithful? God, where have I cheated you? We all have that question to ask. I have had to ask that question. Sometimes my pride is what's cheating God. I just think I know enough now. I've arrived somehow. I have not. I still need him every single day. And I need to, like he says, literally kill my flesh and walk in the spirit. And it's easy to identify when we're not because Paul gave us a whole list of things and anything like it. If it is not a fruit of the spirit, it is anything like it. Who will remain faithful? As we close today, I wanna encourage maybe those of you in the room who are just in that place where you're like, gosh, I haven't even said yes to Jesus and I've been flirting with everything. I've been seeking like the spiritual things, the new agey things, and they're not fulfilling me. I've been seeking, you know, Christian Buddhism where I just get to say yes to everything, but not actually say yes to the one who called me. I've been seeking other people. I've been seeking fulfillment from men or from women. I've been seeking fulfillment in my identity and it's just not enough. And today I know that the only enough is in Jesus. I just want to encourage you today. We're going to bow our heads all together and close our eyes. But maybe today your day, it's your day to say, yes, I want that order in my life, the God order, where he's first and everything else is submitted to it and where all fullness is in and through him. So today we're going to repeat this prayer after me. I just want to encourage you, everyone's going to say it. So you just pray it as well. And uh, don't just pray it with your mouth. Pray it with your heart and ask God to, meet you right here today. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I accept you as my savior. Knowing without you, this life has little purpose. Knowing with you, I have everything. I repent of my sins. I ask for forgiveness. I lay down my mob of idols. And I say yes to you above everything.
with all of my heart and my mind and my soul. I am yours. Thank you for redeeming me and making me new. In Jesus' name.